you know what I'm going to say this, right? Spreadsheet. <laughs> it, like 80% of the time, your answer is spreadsheet. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Kareen from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. everybody and welcome back to Keep It Fictional, a book chat brought to you by the Port Moody Public Library. Today we have a wonderful topic and it's in celebration of this month's Asian Heritage Month, at least in Canada it is. Now for those of you who may not be familiar with Asian Heritage Month, uh, it's been designated as a celebration of people of Asian descent uh, in Canada um, and their contributions to our society. Uh, Now before we talk a bit more about that and about our books for today, um, I just want to clarify what exactly is it to be Asian, when I when I refer to Asian authors, authors of Asian descent, what does that mean? It's massive, it is confusing, um, but it is so diverse. We have East Asia, including China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, uh, Japan, Korea. We've got Southeast Asia, including countries such as Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam. We can't forget about South Asia, which includes countries such as India and Sri Lanka. And not only that, we also have West and Central Asia, which includes nations such as Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. And that's that's just a small cross-section of all of the different nations that are within those regions of what is known collectively as Asia. And so when we're looking at literature by Asian authors, by authors of Asian descent, that can include such a diverse body of work from different languages, different ethnicities, different religious perspectives. Um, And yet, despite all of those differences, what is common between all of those stories is that they're all rooted in resilience and perseverance. Authors of Asian descent in Canada, um, they're all part of the fabric of Canada and their stories about their homelands, their ancestors, but also their experiences within Canada um, as immigrants, as people who are hanging on to their own cultural identities while embracing um, the Canadian identity. It's such a such a wonderful body of work. And today, uh, my colleagues and I are happy to each uh, present you a selection um, that we really enjoyed uh, from an author of Asian descent. Um, This in celebration of Asian Heritage Month. Well, hello, panel. Now, I I haven't looked at uh, what everybody's book selection for this month is, so I'm pretty excited. was it hard to pick a book? Was it, um, or did you have one that kind of jumped out at you? There's no right or wrong answer. I'm currently, it's so hard. I'm currently still deciding which one I want to talk about. 
I've got two. Okay, so Kareem will go no. first. Um, no, I really, I really need to think about this. This is like a very, very stressful decision. It's hard, as you wonderfully put, Liz. Like it's, it's so there's, there's so much to choose from that. That choosing just one book is oh, it's a struggle. So tell us your book, Kareem. No, because I'm book. not. I haven't decided yet. She'll keep us in suspense for a, a little, a little while longer. Um, yeah, just to touch on that note, it is like like you were saying, it, it can be very hard to choose because there's just so many um, different stories by authors of different backgrounds, all within that you know scope of Asian. But at the same time, just I just do want to acknowledge that there are a lot of stories um, by authors of Asian descent, by Asian authors um, that don't necessarily get a lot of traction here in North America um, that haven't been translated into English, uh, for example. Um, so do keep an eye out uh, for those. Hopefully we'll see more and more of these. I've noticed lately there's there's been a bit of a surgence of titles in translation, especially from maybe uh, countries that we haven't really focused on before. So hopefully we'll see more of those in the future. Okay, Virginia, I know you said that you had a hard time picking, but I, I think you've picked one since you're kind of um, egging Corinne on to share hers. Uh, you, you seem pretty confident. Do you have one ready for us? Yes, because I stole hers. That's why. Um, <laughs> kind of. Okay, then. Yeah. So why don't we start with you, uh, Virginia, and your book theft? All right. So this is a title that was originally on Corinne's most anticipated summer read list, but I noticed that she didn't talk about it. So I, I asked her for permission to steal it from her for today. So I'm going to talk about She Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan. This is a debut novel by an author who lives in Australia right now. And she is doing a retelling, reimagining alternate history of a historical figure in Chinese history named Zhu Yunzhang. And he is the first emperor of the Ming Dynasty that managed to rebel against the Mongols that were ruling the country at that point and ended the Yun Dynasty and started a new one. And so this is her reimagining of that historical period around the 1300s in China. Her story starts with a useless girl. This story of a useless girl, that's what her father called her. We don't even know her name. She lives in a village that is poor, that is suffering from famine, that has these soldiers coming through to the town, bullying them, abusing them, demanding things from the villagers all the time. And this village does not have a lot of girls left because if you ever find food, you give it to your sons because daughters, who cares? And she has to go and look for her own food. So she will set traps around so that she can get like lizards or crickets just to keep herself fed and stay alive. This is a story of this useless girl who once asked a fortune teller, what about me? Can you tell me about my fate? This is after the fortune teller sang praises for her brother, saying how her brother is going to have a life that is so great. It is going to make her family proud. But turning to the girl, the fortune teller said, 
I see nothing in your life. There's nothing, no other words. Her life is not worth any other words. This is the story of that useless girl who her father readily offered to the bandits that came around to the village one day, demanding her father to give them stuff as a tribute. And since her father didn't have anything and that her father wants to stay alive, he just said, take her, just take her. Even then, the bandits laughed at her and said, Psh, what am I going to do with this girl? She's useless. She's worth nothing. And proceed to beat her father to death. And as she watched her father died, and then a few days later, waking up and finding her brother has decided to take his own life because he doesn't want to suffer anymore. She doesn't understand. Even though she was told her life is pointless, would still rather stay alive. And as she's digging the grave for her father, as she's digging the grave for her brother, she said, you know, I will have your fate then. I will attain greatness for the family and I will become Shu Chung Ba. And from then on, this story follows Chu Chung Ba from going to the monastery to learn to become a monk, so at least she get fed, to joining up with the rebels and then slowly winning battles against the Mongols, defeating army after army and becoming finally a general in the rebellion and becoming one of the leaders. And we follow her as she struggled with her identity. Who is she? As she worried about people finding out that she is just a girl. As she realized every time she does something or she thinks something or she observes something that is not what Chu Chongba will ever see, will ever think, will ever observe. Things that maybe only she will recognize because she is a girl and that she can feel the empathy for other girls that she met along the way and how she sees them, how she empowers them to be something else. But she worries every time she does that because she feels like, well, I am getting away from the fate of greatness because only Chu Chung Ba will be able to do anything. I can't. My fate it's nothing. I need to be more like Chu Chongba. And that's what she struggles between and finally maybe realizing who she really is and what is her identity. It's really interesting how the book very much focused on her, but there's also a parallel story in one of the generals that is in the opposite side on the Mongol army and how his life is also kind of predetermined by something that happens in his past. And he is also struggling with that identity. And this parallel story, as they say in the book, like recognize like and how the two will collide again and again and perhaps push the other person along the way, along their fate. As a fellow useless girl, I was always told, you're a girl, stay invisible. Nobody wants to hear from you. You don't matter. Like, I really appreciate even sometimes some of the things that she does. I'm like, oh, that's a bad decision. I was like, oh, that's pretty ruthless. But 
as a fellow, you know, like person that has been told all those things my whole life, this book just gives you the strength to to know that you don't have to stick with whatever they told you, you know, that that you there's no such thing as a destiny for you because just because you're a girl and um, just, you know, knowing that that you don't have to listen to what your culture said, your, your society said, this is what you can do. You can be a person, you can be somebody. It's so nice to see in literature that there are stories, the characters like that, that can make you feel like, okay, I can be somebody. And so I'm really excited for this debut novel to come out. It's already like on order at the library. So go put it on hold. It's coming out in July. I think it's going to be great. It's already one of the very highly anticipated debut novels coming out this year. Interesting reimagining of this famous emperor as a queer girl. So yeah, really, really interesting book. I think you'll really enjoy it. And it is a book that both Corinne and Virginia kind of wanted to read. So it's like that weird Venn diagram. So we'll see how that goes. So um, again, it is She Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan. I think my favorite, I follow her on Twitter and I think the favorite thing about this, I mean, the book sounds great. I, I have it ordered. I'm waiting for it to arrive on my doorstep is that only after all of this, like she wrote the book, she's publishing the book. It's about to come out in a couple of months. Did she realize the pun in the title? Because she who became the sun, like S-O-N, like the sun, because she becomes the sun. Only later did she realize that. That makes it all the more clever though. Right? Sometimes we're more, more clever than we even think that we are. Well, that sounds amazing. Um, title as well as the contents of the book the story itself sounds really powerful so thank you for that now Sadie um I believe your book is one that we were quite familiar with at the library would you like to share uh, that one with us today yeah so I um took this opportunity to read an author that I had not read before but that I have wanted to read uh, for quite a while. And um, this author does have a bit of a local connection. Uh, she is based in Vancouver. And I believe I have a signed poster of this book cover by my desk that was inherited when I uh, when I took on this position. Um, and the poster has just stayed, uh, stayed there. Uh, so this is Dragon Springs Road by Janie Chang. And only after I sat down did I realize I matched my shirt to the cover of the book. So I am also more clever than I might think that I am. <laughs> uh, so this is a, a historical fiction with a little bit of magical realism in it. Um, it follows the story of Jia Ling. And we, when we first meet Jia Ling, she is seven years old and she is living a very sheltered life. All that she knows is sort of this one residence house that her and her mother live in. Um, she doesn't really talk to very many people. It's just her and her mother. They have an altar to a fox spirit that they pray at. Every now and then, um, a gentleman from the main residence will come and take her mother away for a couple of days. Uh, he's known as Noble Uncle. And then her mother will come back and their life will, will just kind of go on as it always has. Uh, so when we first meet Jelling, she has been told to stay where she is by her mother. Her mother says that I am going, I will be back, um, but just stay where you are. You will be safe here. There's no need to leave. So she listens to her mother. She stays expecting her mother to come back in a couple days, but she doesn't. 
couple days pass, Jialing starts to realize that her mother is most likely not going to be coming back as soon as she thought. So she starts to get upset. She starts to get worried. She stays in the in the residence, but she she has a, a stack of furniture that she can climb on top of and peek out over the gates. And so she does that one day and she sees a bunch of moving moving wagons coming in and a new family is moving into the main residence next door to where she's living. She doesn't know anything about them. She didn't really know anything about the family that used to live there. Um, but she she starts to wonder if maybe maybe this means that her mother is is actually truly gone. So she starts to cry. She starts to get worried. And then a young girl, maybe four or five years older than her, comes over and finds her crying and takes her over to meet her grandmother. And her grandmother looks at Jialing and decides that she is going to be the good deed that her grandmother can do. So grandmother Yang decides that she's going to take Jialing in as a bond servant. And this is going to help her to, uh, to get into heaven. This is going to be her good deed to take care of Jialing. And when Jialing is meeting this family, she starts to realize that she's a bit different from the rest of the family. And someone in the family uses a term that she's never heard before. And she kind of starts to think about what that term means. And she starts to realize that she doesn't actually look the same as the rest of the people in this family. Whereas her mother was Chinese, Jialing's father was a foreigner. And so Jialing is a mixed race girl and therefore does not fit in in this world. Um, as Jialing grows older, she starts to realize that this might mean that she never fits in in either world with the foreigners or with her uh, Chinese um, ancestry. But it doesn't stop Jialing from doing her best and um, continuing to work for the Yang family. Um, she continues to be their servant, does what she can. Her and Anjun, the young girl in the family, become quite close. And she also starts to realize that the altar that her and her mother once had for the fox spirit, uh, there's more to it than she might have realized because the fox spirit actually lives in this residence where she lived. And she will go over and she'll be, she'll be able to visit the fox spirit. And the fox kind of stays with her as she grows older um, over her life. Uh, so the story kind of traces Yaling's life um, through her childhood, through... Um, kind of the hardships that she has, but also the joys that she has. You, you kind of learn about the family that she is living with. The Yangs, they own a fabric factory. And um, you kind of learn about their their history a little bit. Um, there's hardships that fall on all of them. Um, at one point, Jialing gets the opportunity to attend a mission school. And so she's finally going to be able to be educated. And she's so excited to finally be able to go to this girl school and start learning and start to fit in. But once again, she realizes that because she is mixed race, the other girls at the school do not want anything to do with her. They don't want to talk to her. They don't want to sit with her. Uh, she is able to find a small group of other girls who have a similar background and together they form a bond and a friendship. But as she grows older, she starts to realize that 
not only will this impact the way that she has looked in life, it will impact what she is able to do in her life. So as she gets older, she tries to find work. She tries to go out into the world. And no matter what, she will not be hired. She will not be looked on as someone who is appropriate to be in their houses. And so this is something that Jialing struggles with um, through her whole life. Uh, so this book kind of continues on with her story. Um, mixed in there is talk of uh, the political turmoil that's taking place in Shanghai where they are living around that time. It takes place in the um, 19, early 1900s to about the 1920s. Um, and you kind of have that political um, unrest that's mixed in with that. You have a little bit of murder. You have some blackmail and uh, danger for yelling as well that uh, she has to kind of figure out the ways that she's going to get out of. And it kind of comes down to Jialing trying to make the best decisions to keep herself safe and to, to kind of move her own life forward. And you kind of see where she will where she will make those choices and if she will have to hurt the people around her um, in order for herself to be safe and in order for herself to have a life um, in the future. So I really, really enjoyed this book. Um, I think I will probably pick up more of Janie Chang's um, work. Uh, this one came out in 2017, I believe was her second novel. Um, so that was Dragon Springs Road by Janie Chang. A very sady book, I think it's safe to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I love, uh, I love the, the historical aspect of it. Um, I mean, a little bit of magic in there as well, just a touch of it, which is definitely my kind of book. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Sadie. Mm -hmm. Now, before we move on to our next two books, um, I have a question for everybody, as we do here on Keep It Fictional. And I know I'm springing this on you. I didn't let you know this in advance, but it is something I'm genuinely curious about. I think it's fair to say that we're all um, diverse readers here. or We attempt to read very diversely. Um, so my question to all of you is, how do you keep up with that? How do you make sure you're reading diversely? Or how do you, how do you read more diversely when you feel like maybe uh, you're not? You know what I'm going to say, Liz, right? Spreadsheet. <laughs> it, like 80% of the time, your answer is spreadsheet. That's how. <laughs> okay. It does help because you want quantitative data, right? You don't want to be like, I think I read quite a few of this, or all right? But yeah, spreadsheet will be able to help you. You know, you can see, you can see the data. You can't lie, you know, like the data doesn't lie. So, you know, like last week, I read three books by Office of Asian Descent. It helps me. And then it helps me see my gaps. And I'll be like, okay, so you have to go seek those out. Spreadsheets. So do you have quotas then? Like targets and benchmarks or? I don't have quotas, no. But at least I want to be able to like have some in each category. I can vouch for the spreadsheet. It's a wonderful, wonderful spreadsheet. Yay! It is. I, I use Virginia's spreadsheet, the one that she created. And... It is. I love it. <laughs> you very data-driven yeah. people here, I see. <laughs> I, I also um, will look at book lists a lot. And so um, if I do kind of want to fill those gaps, um, I find that um, Goodreads will sometimes do book lists. Other places will do book lists. 
what I find is that they will often come out around months that are celebrating. So currently there are quite a few lists that are out um, celebrating Asian um, Heritage Month. I wish there was more year round, um, not just during those specific times, but I do find that they are um, useful as well if you are looking kind of for a range of different genres as well to kind of be able to see all of those books in one place and and to kind of say oh that one looks really interesting that one looks like something something I would want um, nice I'm really curious to see these two spreadsheets here and charts and okay Corey. oh my gosh <laughs> oh see I feel bad because I I feel like on like the lawful lawful good versus chaotic good spectrum there because I'm a very like mood-based reader I don't know what I'm going to read I could read from any genre I don't know whether I'm going to be in the mood for like middle grade YA or a crime one or something else like because it, it, it's it's harder to plan and to guess what I think helps me the most is to make sure that I've got something on hand um, is that if I'm feeling in the mood for a mystery, I make sure that I am choosing mysteries by people of color. I'm having them on hand so that when I get kind of like that feeling, I'm just like, uh, and grab. And so it don't really have to think about it, um, that I just make sure that those options are there. So it does take, um, effort in curating my holds list, um, and making sure that that is all that I'm putting the holds on the stuff so that when I'm in that mood, I can just grab it. So I, I think I don't spend a lot of time on a spreadsheet, but I do spend a lot of time going through the new stuff that's coming in through the library and making sure that I'm putting on holds that are kind of like in my genres of choice um, so that I've got them on hand. I think also too, like when you are thinking like you said, like Corinne said, oh, I want a mystery, right? It's kind of like, okay, well, I can either read another one from an author that I already read about you know, like, or I could choose something new. And I feel like, you know, having started, you know, like I'll keep it fictional. I feel like I'm trying more debut offers. I'm going to seek those out instead of going to my go-tos, you know, so um, that may or may not be a diverse read. So like Corinne said, it does take a little bit more effort sometimes, you know, in some ways, you know, but she's planning it using her holes. We are planning using a spreadsheet. It's still planning. Yeah. Liz, what about you, Liz? I'm definitely not using a spreadsheet. I'm not so organized as you two. Um, <laughs> Cheers, Liz. Cheers. Yeah, it, it's more, it's, it's more kind of random. <laughs> Maybe I should go the spreadsheet route because it is. No, Liz, 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 please. It's so labor intensive, according the way we do it. <laughs> And, and spreadsheet could also be like, you can just get spreadsheet to help you a random one, right? Like you can do so many things with your spreadsheet so that it could also randomize it, right? It'll just suggest a book that fits all the, whatever mood you feel like. It has to be a mystery and it has to be like lots of murder or something. And it right? makes it feel like homework assignment. No, it's not. It's so much fun. It, it would be fun. I can see the fun in that. Because you're just looking at books and... Exactly. Exactly. Because there's so many choices, right? So it's just a little, little help to help us narrow down what we want. I feel like we won't come to consensus on this topic. So maybe we should um, revisit this another day. We'll take it offline, maybe. Um, yeah. Maybe that's a full episode is that we dedicate ourselves to the spreadsheet and then we see what book the spreadsheet recommends for us and have to read that after. 
I'm going to see how many answers I can give that is using spreadsheet to all the, the upcoming <laughs> existential questions. How many times can I answer with spreadsheet? We're going to see. So stay tuned, everybody, for future episodes of Keep It Fictional. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's let's uh, let's write this ship here. Um, Corrine, <laughs> would you like to share with us your book for Asian Heritage Month? <laughs> Are you ready now? Are you I, ready now? I, I, I literally have two pictures on my phone. I have two descriptions of the plot and I'm waffling between both of them very hard. Um, I can go. If you want more time, I can go. I don't think time is going to be... Uh, time's not going to help, Liz. Time's not going to help. You just have to be careful. You have to be careful not to say the title of one and the description of the other. <laughs> like Make sure you're keeping them separate in your mind. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point, Sadie. Oh, it's so hard because... In many ways, these two books represent kind of like my entire adult reading life because one of them was a like the first adult book that I ever read. It was recommended to me by my high school librarian. Shout out to Laura Gluer, my fave, um, who like put it in my hands. She's like, oh, I think you'll love this book. And I was like, oh, this is written for adults, but all right, I'll give it a try. Um, and I read it and I loved it and I cried and it was, it was so beautiful. And it's an author that I've kind of like followed for a really long time. And then on the total other end of the spectrum is the book that I just finished. So <laughs> the one on your left. This one? On your left, your left. Yes, that's right. My, my, yes. my, my first book? Your left, yes. Whatever, I don't know. That one. Okay. 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 Yeah. So this is the first adult book that I, that I ever read that was recommended to me and was a beautiful book. And yeah, is, is a, a kind of like masterful author who has been like steadily working away for the past, I'm going to say 20 years as an author. And I feel like never quite getting the due that she is deserved and that is the fantastic author, uh, Gail Sukiyama. And the very first adult book that I ever read was uh, Women of the Silk, uh, which was her debut novel way back in, I want to say, like 1991. And it was a, like a transportive book. It was so beautifully written, so subtle. I bawled my eyes out and I was like, okay, I think that I am ready to kind of go forward and take on stories that have a little bit more, more depth and a little bit more to say than, than some of the, the stuff that I was reading before. So yeah, this book kind of like set me off on my journey and it kind of interestingly takes a lot of threads from books that have already been talked about. Um, so it takes place in 1926. It is rural China. And Pei is a young girl in a family that does not think much of her. She has a million questions, a million things she wants to learn about. She is full of energy. She is boisterous. She wants to know how the world works. Um, but unfortunately, the world is not really made for a girl like Pei. And eventually, when her family starts running low on funds, she is sold to a silk factory to pay off her family's debts. So all the work that she does, all that money is eventually sent back to her family, who she realizes that she will never see again. She is eight years old. The reason why her family is so willing to let go of her is because, like in Virginia's book, her family takes her to a fortune teller, and the fortune teller look, takes one look at her and says, you're unmarriageable, and thus you are useless. So knowing this, it is very easy for her family to hand her over to essentially work for them in perpetuity. But 
what could have been a really horrible life turns out to be this wonderful transformative opportunity for pay. Because in the silk factory, it is only women working. And some women like Pei have been sent there as children to help gain money for their families, but some of them have gone there willingly. It is a chance to make their own money. It is a chance to be independent. It is a chance to kind of be master of their own lives. And so what kind of develops for Pei in this story as she kind of grows up into adulthood is this very strong sisterhood that they are there to support each other. They are there to lift each other up. And in fact, some of the sisters go through a ceremony which kind of devotes themselves to each other and the sisterhood and a life of celibacy. So they are able to really make those decisions about their own life. It is a book about growing up. It is a book about that particular time in history. More and more, the impact of the Japanese invasion um, starts to be felt on this small little community of women who are just trying to live their lives. And the impact of global events on this really small story starts to be felt. The author has such a very distinct style. It's very, very subtle and it's very tell, don't show. So if you're looking for like a very high impact historical story that's going to take you from moment to moment, it's not like that. It is like a friend or a sister or an aunt sitting down and telling you their life story and how it happened and what it meant to them. It is just a beautiful narrative. And in fact, um, when I picked up the sequel to um, Women of the Silk, which I didn't know had been written, Language of Thread, and I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll just like read a chapter on the Sky Train, and then maybe, maybe I'll, I'll decide which one I want to talk about. And I ended up halfway through the book. I read through the night. I got through the whole thing. I cried again. Um, but it, it just kind of like, it's so subtle in the way that it just kind of draws you in and makes you care so much about the characters and so much about their lives. I really, really love this story for the memories and then for the story and the author itself. Gail Tsukiyama's father is Japanese-American from Hawaii and her mother comes from Hong Kong. And so the sequel actually takes place when Pei uh, leaves this village to try and escape from the invasion to go and start living in Hong Kong. Yeah, it's a bittersweet, beautiful book. And yeah, if you're if you're willing to kind of give yourself over to this this style of writing, if you kind of let go of your conceptions of what a historical fiction should sound like, should feel like the beats that you're that you feel like they should be hitting, because I feel like, you know, as western readers sometimes we're used to stories being told in a certain way and if it's not told that way then it must be wrong or less, but I think that she taps into like a, a deeper way of storytelling that if you kind of let yourself embrace this style, it is a book that will just change you. And I know that it really did change my life as, as a reader. So I have nothing but thanks for her and, and really recommend you to pick up any of her very fantastic books. So that's the one I landed on. Thank you, Virginia, for making my mind up. That was a great choice, Corrine. See, that wasn't so hard, was it? It was so hard because the other book on the other side of the spectrum was very different. Curious what, what that other, the alternate book was in an alternate episode what what would that book have been? in an alternate episode okay yeah and this is my sneaky way of getting in a second book um it is uh hannah Khan carries on <laughs> great rom-com if you enjoyed you've got mail it's like it's you've got mail that takes place in the golden crescent in toronto and it's fantastic nice nice lots of strong female characters um yeah powerful stories and also a little fun as well with the uh, hannah Khan there Awesome. Thank you, Corrine.
Okay, so I'm not going to carry on with the strong female characters um, <laughs> today. I've got something a little bit different, um, and it's by an author that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, sadly, he has he passed, so his body of work that exists, that's what, that's what we've got. But this one today that I wanted to feature is called Paper Shadows. And the cover I'm holding up, I'm sorry, I don't know this is an alternate cover. There's so many uh, covers for this, um, but it's Paper Shadows. It's uh, either a Chinatown childhood in some editions, and this one is a Chinatown memoir. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Wei Sin Choi, he was uh, born in Vancouver, and I, I feel like he was one of the most groundbreaking Asian-Canadian authors, author of color, Vancouver author, LGBTQ author. So uh, he was one of the first openly gay uh, writers of color in Canada. Um, somebody who really made it. And his first novel, The Jade Peony, was published in the mid-1990s. And it took place in Vancouver's Chinatown in the 1930s and the 1940s. I believe sometime after the publication of Jade Peony, Wei Sun Choi found out that he was actually adopted. So big shock to his system. He, you know, he's an adult at this point. He's written a successful book of, based a lot on what his experience was in Vancouver's Chinatown. And what he thought he knew was completely upended. And so that led to this memoir, Paper Shadows. So I kind of like to think of these two books um, as being companion books. I really recommend that you, um, whichever you start with, that you read the other one because his life really, you'll see that his life really did inform uh, his writing when he did write about Vancouver's Chinatown. Now, unlike the Jade Peony, in which it took place in the 30s and 40s, his memoir takes place primarily in the 40s and 50s. So he did grow up in Vancouver's Chinatown, um, which had a large immigrant community. And this community was very much informed by uh, historical experiences. So first with the Chinese head tax, uh, that was from 1885 to 1923. A lot of Chinese people, primarily men, came to work in Canada um, in search of a better life, to send funds back to their families a lot of them building the railroad uh, that connected our country from coast to coast. Following the head tax that ended in 1923, that was actually replaced with the Chinese Exclusion Act, and that was uh, not repealed until 1947. So in existence during the course of Jade Peony, as well as uh, his particular memoir, so that informed a lot of his experiences growing up as a racialized person uh, in Vancouver during that particular time. This book is, it's a collection of so many short chapters and vignettes um, talking about childhood memories that he has from as young as three, which is incredible. Um, talking about ghosts, so the ghosts that, that haunt your family, that haunt your people as a culture, um, whether it be the ghosts of being an immigrant or the ghosts of your ancestors, wherever you may come from. Uh, and it's also a story of his coming of age. So 
I really do recommend this book if you are interested in seeing what Vancouver's Chinatown was like in its heyday or towards its heyday, um, where it was really a place of vibrancy, um, of life, of hope, of people living their day-to-day lives. I definitely recommend that you do read it in companionship to Jade Peony. The two just so seamlessly feel like two volumes from the same series. Um, and I can't, I can't say enough about what uh, Waysen Choi did as an author for Asian Canadians uh, and for, you know, people from so many different demographics. Speaking of diversity today, uh, he, just, he just did so much simply by writing, doing something that he loved, but in such a beautiful way. So again, that's Paper Shadows, A Chinatown Childhood by Waysen Choi. I'm glad you chose to talk about him. A giant, giant. Absolutely. Yeah. So hopefully never forgotten. Definitely, definitely a pioneer in in Canadian writing for sure. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of Keep It Fictional. We are back every week with a new episode for you. And next week, we'll be continuing on with Asian Heritage Month, but with books specifically for kids and teens, which I'm also really excited about. Corinne, I believe you're hosting that one? Yes, all the titles for the youth, but not just for the youth, because kids' books are not just for kids, YA books are not just for teens. These are books that everyone can enjoy, or will be although everyone can enjoy these books as well. That's right. Well said, Corey. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, We hope you have a great day. And we do encourage you to check out books by authors of Asian descent. Remember, it's a big Asian world out there. So lots for you to choose from. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm-hmm.